Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is recorded in Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. To the messenger of the church in Sardis write, The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what is left, which is about to die. For I have found that your works are not complete in the sight of my God. Therefore, remember what you received and heard. Hold on to it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come upon you. Yet you have a few names in Sardis, people who have not defiled their clothes. They will walk with me in white clothing, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious in this way will be clothed in white clothing. I certainly will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. Today we continue our theme, questions to ask ourselves as we read the messages to the seven churches. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I had an employer who provided dinner for me. And I always remember one time I looked and it was a, a juicy looking red apple and I bit into it. But after my teeth broke through the skin, I could feel something wasn't right. I pulled the apple away and that chunk just broke free and I looked inside and something like applesauce mixed with brown paint. It had looked good on the outside, but it was absolutely disgusting on the inside. Well, that's what's going on in Sardis. For the first time in these letters, there is absolutely no praise, nothing to commend them about at the beginning of this message, and the Lord gets straight to the problem. From here on out, I will be preaching on my own translation of the inspired Greek language, and the problem is spelled out bluntly in the second half of verse 1. I have perceived your works, that you keep on having a name that you continue living, and yet you continue being dead. Having a name means you have a reputation. You seem to be alive in Christ, but you're a dead congregation, he says. And so they're just like that apple that looked good, but the inside was rotten to the core. And so today, as we look at the message to Sardis, we will ask the question, do we look alive, but are dead on the inside? Now, before I launch into the text, let me give you some examples of ways in which people can think a congregation or individuals are alive but are not. A large church, surely that is the sign of a church that's sharing the word of God, doing evangelism, alive in Christ. Then you find out that people are flocking to it because they give away free ice cream or such things. Lots of times you find out that then people go to those for entertainment or maybe because it's prevalent in the community, it's a good way to get a leg up at work and rub elbows. Being a large church does not mean you're dead, but being a large church does not mean you're alive. Oh, let's run to the opposite example. Let's, well, therefore, surely a small church must be okay, right? A church can be small because it is faithfully proclaiming the word of God and not giving itching ears what they want to hear. And that may mean a lot of the world is not interested. But a church can also be small. Small because it doesn't care to do evangelism. Small because it doesn't care enough about its neighbor to look in on their neighbor when their neighbor has need. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, any church, even a medium-sized church, can be dead on the inside while doing things that look alive. For example, a church can be just exploding doing evangelism, and then you find out the reason. We want to pave our parking lot or build a new fellowship hall. That's not the love for souls that are otherwise destined for hell. That's not reaching out to souls so that you can save them from the fire that our Savior took on human flesh to prevent their very destruction from It's seeing them as cattle to be milked. And brothers and sisters in Christ, churches can be excited when a new member joins. Oh, welcome and love them. And then when they reach that point a few years later where their attendance starts to dwindle and dwell, they can be so uninvolved and so unloving, so lacking the love of the Lord that not a one of them will even reach out and say, Hey, is everything okay? As the person starts to fall away. And Lutherans, those who bear the name of Luther themselves, let's give a few examples of how they can be dead. Lots of times I read books, professionally written books, and they will often focus so much on what Luther says as if he was a cult figure that the only time the scriptures are even quoted in that book is if it happens to be quoted by Luther in a quote they're giving from Luther. There is somebody who's dead in their theology. We can get caught up in Lutheranism, in dead ritualism, as long as we stand up, sit down, bow, cross ourselves all, as if going through those rituals are what gives love for God, instead of hearing the word of God and making sure it's taught in its truth and purity. And even in Lutheranism, we have our modern day Pharisees, the legalists. The legalists who do not love the good news of salvation for Christ as much as they love the rules and the regulations and think the rules and regulations give life. And so they go around pounding people with the rules and regulation and a love for the good news of salvation in Christ is not seen. Congregations that are that way and members that are that way tend to be the biggest hypocrites. They tend to scream out with hypocrisy. These are simple ways I could go on like this all day in ways a congregation and individuals can look alive but be dead on the inside. But let's get into our message to the church at Sardis. In every one of these messages, God begins by pointing out who the letter's for and and, and especially who it's characterized to and an attribute of Christ or more than one attribute of Christ that either is going to encourage the things that need to be encouraged, which, like I said, in this church, there's not a lot to encourage or that's going to fix the problem. So as all of them, it begins to the angel of the assembly in Sardis. I mentioned the word angel, angel here is messenger. In those days, they didn't have a church building like we do. They were meeting in individuals' homes. And the word of God, any book, was expensive. And so there seemed to be somebody who had memorized, and more than one of them, but some person who especially had memorized what we call the New Testament. It had all been written but the book of Revelation. And they would make sure that the word was being taught in its truth and purity. These were not overlords. The modern day equivalent we have, the closest we have, is a pastor. And it's a reminder for us. We want to make sure that the pastor isn't bogged down with things that are not proclaiming the word of God so that he is sharing the word and giving the CPR needed to keep us alive. And he says to the messenger of the assembly, and I've said in every one of these, this word for congregation from the Greek word ecclesia, we have been called out. That's the word ecclesia, called out of the ways of this world, called out of the selfishness, called out of being slaves to the devil and called to be citizens of God's kingdom called to gather together around his word and to show God's love to each other and love for his word and mutually encourage each other. So he continues, you are to write these things 
The one who keeps on having the previously mentioned spirits of God and the previously mentioned seven stars. Attributes listed in Revelation chapter 1. And the first is the seven spirits. Many people argue over what this is. But we do know that if you are alive in Christ, it's because he sent the Holy Spirit working through a messenger to share the good news of salvation in him. And the Holy Spirit entered your heart and created a new person that is engrafted to Christ so that you know Christ is true God who became true man who lived perfectly in your place when you and I fall constantly to temptation and sin, and then who died to remove our sin and then rose victorious and is ruling from his throne. So he sends the Spirit out. And the seven spirits, these would be the seven congregations, but it would include the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And it's a reminder for us, because we are a small church, sometimes we can say, are we dead because the Lord hasn't given us all the gifts we need? No. The Holy Spirit does give us all the gifts we need through the individual members. Sometimes we need to encourage each other to be using our gifts. So he says also as the seven stars, and remember those seven stars were the seven messengers. The modern equivalent would be the pastors. The ones who are to proclaim the word of God boldly and fearlessly. The ones who are going to say things like in Sardis that people don't want to hear. And they'll say, how dare you? How dare you? Shame on you. They'll say, how can you say this? Look at our works. You're, you're being a bummer. But Jesus says, I have you. And you need to proclaim this message so these people don't continue to die. So that's the attribute needed. He's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to send that. He has the messenger in his hands and he's going to work through the Holy Spirit who's going to work through the word which is going to be proclaimed. He continues, I have perceived. In every one of these letters he uses this word. It's knowledge gained through seeing and it reminds us of that attribute in Revelation chapter 1 verse 14 and his eyes were as flames of fire. Mean, meaning nothing's hidden from him and especially in Sardis because they, they appear to be like that apple. They, they look juicy. But on the inside they're dead. His eyes, those flames of fire penetrate all. So he knows. He says, I have perceived your works that you keep on having a name which means a reputation that you continue living and yet you continue being dead. The only thing that's going to breathe life into them is if he sends the Holy Spirit and he's going to do that through the messenger proclaiming the message that he has sent John to share with that messenger. So as we ask the question, do we look alive but are dead on the inside? We see Christ sends his Holy Spirit to give life, to give birth to the new person. And when your new person is active in Christ, then the congregation as we gather together to encouraging each other all of our gifts seen together show the new life in Christ. Verse 2 continues, you are to start. Remember, most of them are dead right now, even though they look alive. You are to start and not stop becoming continuously awake. What is the cup of coffee they need to wake them up? Again, it's going to be the word of God. The law that exposes our sin as much as it hurts, but then the good news of salvation in Christ in which the blood of Christ is poured upon us and we're given that new life. He says, you are to start and continue becoming continuously awake and firm up the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your works to have been filled to the full in the sight of my God. When the human body, for example, is out in the cold and it begins to freeze to death, the outer appendages go first as the body begins to protect the central organs, the heart and the brain. There's a lot that's dead here. 
But if they come to that word, they can firm it up like a fire that's almost gone out. But you start breathing on it. The Holy Spirit's going to work through that word to start making those embers grow to firm up what there still is left to salvage. Now, lots of times congregations can say, but Lord, I give these offerings and everything. And he says that for I have not found your works to have been filled to the full in the sight of my God. Two people can come in. One can throw a hundred dollar bill into the offering plate. One can tremblingly throw a buck into the offering plate, which one may look glorious in the eyes of man. But what if I tell you what God sees? Maybe that day the guy who threw the hundred dollars in the offering plate was a guy who's in debt to his ears and just blows money and didn't think twice about it. Maybe the guy who was only threw the dollar in could afford a thousand dollars, but he's cheap. And he struggled with his sinful nature. And in spite of it all, he throws that dollar in the plate and he sits down and says, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I'm, I struggle with this sin so bad, but thank you, Lord. Last week, I didn't give anything. You gave me this victory. Which one is working out a love for God in God's sight? So like I said, sometimes people can even be doing the same work. And the one is doing it. I mentioned earlier, let's do evangelism so we can build a fellowship hall versus let's do evangelism because God loved us and has saved us. And he died for those souls, too. And we want them to be saved. And so we see as we ask the question, do we look alive but are dead on the inside? Christ sends his Holy Spirit to give life. And we see the Holy Spirit works through the word, both the law and the gospel The law kills, the gospel gives life, so the Holy Spirit works through the word to give life and keep alive. Blow those embers into a flame that are dying. The second half of verse 3 says, Accordingly, if you do not wake up, then I will certainly become present like a thief. That is, you will never know at what hour I will come upon you. Jesus is not saying he's a thief. What he's saying is, The person's asleep in their room. They didn't expect the thief and he sneaks in. Maybe he hits them over the head with a club so they stay out and he robs them. They are dead. I remember when I was studying to be a pastor, canvassing in various neighborhoods, especially for some of the churches I had had been assigned to, and coming across people saying, oh yeah, I used to go to church. I got older, things got busy. I said, I'll come when I'm older. You just told me you're 70 or 80 years old. It's time to come. Ah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Guess what? When Christ returns on judgment day or when they die, whichever comes first, it's going to be like that thief. If they knew the thief was coming, they'd have traps set. They'd be sitting there armed, ready to defend themselves. And in this case, the armament is faith. When Christ comes, he'll say, well, you fell asleep in me and you never woke up. You're dead. And therefore, you are going eternally to hell. This is as strong a warning as the law can give. And we see here, persistence in ignoring the word leads to death and judgment. And do not kid yourself. You can have people sitting in the pew Sunday after Sunday who are dead. When they hear the sermon, they hear blah, 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 blah. People can pick churches because they prefer entertainment. And the hymns they're singing are not many sermons edifying them. But they're just simply being entertained. There's a warning. Persistence in ignoring the word leads to death and judgment. But now we get to where the embers are in Sardis that can be blown on. That there is something left to be edified. In verse 4 he says, but you have a few names in Sardis. Now I've got to stop here. Remember he said you have a name 
for being alive, but you're dead. And in a minute, he's going to mention having a name written in the book of life. So he's focusing on names here. You have a few names in Sardis which have not soiled their robes. We learned in our epistle lesson today, in Revelation chapter 19, the robes are being declared not guilty. That means those who are alive in Christ, as I'm wearing a preaching robe, wear a white robe that is an alien righteousness to them, a foreign righteousness, it is Christ's righteousness. And they haven't soiled them. The rest of Sardis has, because they, they got to the point they didn't care about the word anymore. They didn't love God. So they soiled their robes with the sin of indifference and apathy. They stopped loving their neighbor. And so they weren't reaching out in Christian love to their believing neighbor and to their unbelieving neighbor. But this group, they haven't soiled their robes. They have not been indifferent. They do not have an apathy. They don't have a resentment for the word of God. And so he says, they will walk with me in white. Now, in our gospel lesson, it seems weird that the, uh, this guy ends up at the wedding banquet that he's been invited to. And the king says, how did you get in here with, with your plain ordinary clothes on? But you recognize he couldn't have got in there. There were people guarding. He had to come in as a believer and fell from the faith. But what he's saying here to the, to the few that are faithful, he says, you will walk with me in white. Now, we can certainly see that in the future. This is the future tense. When they're in heaven, their sinful nature will be ripped away. He's saying, I promise you, you're saved and you'll never have to wrestle with that sinful nature when I come. But you know, if you think about it, you're alive in Christ. You walk about in white with him now because you have the new person. You have love for him. So you love to hear the word. So you love to gather together and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ and share the word with your unbelieving neighbor, even if it means they will resent you, at least at first for it, or maybe always resent you. He says, and so they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. It's not that their good works have made them worthy. It's that they believed in Christ, that the Holy Spirit had worked through the word, they remained faithful in that word, and so they did good works out of love for God, and they, by remaining in the word, they did not forfeit their salvation. Christ's blood had made them worthy. The faith the Holy Spirit gave them had clothed them in Christ's righteousness, which made them worthy. And in verse 5 he says, Accordingly, the one who keeps on conquering will wrap himself in white robes. In every one of these messages, Jesus has said, the one who keeps on conquering. And in every one of these sermons, I have said, how do we conquer? We conquer by staying in the word. It's why we spend just a few minutes just to read meditations in our day. It's why we come to Bible study and say, wait, wait, let's rest with the word and it's why yeah sometimes in the sermon lots of times our sinful nature our attention just wanders but you know sometimes in the sermon something hits you and you think about that and you realize the sermon has gone on that's fine you're conquering you're applying that word to your life you conquer by using the word so that you don't forfeit salvation and he continues he says and I will never erase his name out of the book of life listen to how strongly he says that I will never but talking about erasing the name out of the book of life, there are Christians who, contrary to Scripture, believe and teach once saved, always saved. In this passage here, if you're going to believe that, you're calling Christ a liar. Your name gets written in the book of life when the Holy Spirit working through the word gives birth to that new person who knows Jesus is true God, who became true man and did all the work to save you. But if you allow yourself to fall asleep, if you stay away from that word, if you become indifferent, apathetic to it, he will erase your name. 
But for those who remain faithful, he says, I've got you. Eternal life is yours. You will not have to worry like that person when I come like a thief in the night because your name is written in the book of life. And he says, and I will profess his name in the presence of my father and the presence of his angels. Many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about people who at one time were believers or thought they were believers. You know if you're a believer, if you trust in Jesus, by the way. But they turn around on Judgment Day, like the, uh, the bridesmaids who didn't feed their faith, and so they ran out of oil. He often says on Judgment Day, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. But he's saying to you who are alive in Christ, you're staying in my word. He says, I am going to stand before the Father and his angels on Judgment Day and say, See my brand on that sheep? They are a Christian. They are a member of my flock. And will even point to the good works you did because you were saved as evidence that you were his sheep, his little lamb. And so once again, he concludes this letter with the encouragement. The one who keeps on having ears is to hear what the Spirit is saying to the assemblies, to the congregations, to those called out. How does the Spirit speak? He's inspired the word of God. So we see here those who are alive conquer by hearing and using the word of God. Are we like that apple that I bit into that day that looked juicy but something had made it just rotten in the core? Do we look alive but are we dead on the inside? Christ sends his Holy Spirit to give life. The Holy Spirit works through the word to give life and keep alive. He especially does that through the good news of salvation in Christ the gospel. Persistence in ignoring the word leads to death and judgment. That is the warning and the death blow of the law. But we also see the promise. Those who are alive conquer by hearing and using God's word. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.